Hey there, welcome to the Get Optimized podcast. This is Chris, and today we've got a very special episode about finances, everyone's favorite, right? It's a very heavy topic, typically, but this episode's going to be awesome, okay? Because I have an awesome guest on, and I'm going to tell you about him in a second, but you might not realize it, but finances and marketing are more intertwined than you might think. If you think about your marketing budget and budgeting overall for your brewery, if you think about profitability, if you think about even marketing positioning, marketing and finance are connected with all those things and more. So this is a super important topic. And to help dissect it, I have Kerry Shumway here. Okay, and he's a CPA. He's the CFO for Wormtown Brewery. He's the former CFO for a distributor. And he's got like 20 years experience doing accounting and finances all over the place. So he's definitely qualified to talk about this, but he's also a good friend of mine. We've worked together on several projects. He runs a podcast. He has an awesome website called craftbrewerryfinance.com. And uh, we got to talking to him. was like, hey, look, we should do a podcast where we kind of try to shed some light on how, you know, what you do and what I do are connected. And uh, you're about to hear the result of that. One more note before... I turn it over to the interview. Uh, we kind of did this hybrid podcast format. So it's it's in two parts. You're going to listen to it as one episode. It's a little bit longer than my normal episodes. But part one is me asking Carrie questions uh, about financial stuff. And then we flipped the script. So I get to sit in the interviewee seat, which was fun. And Carrie asked me some really, really awesome questions. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's a little bit different than our normal style here. But I thought it was Super awesome. Definitely wanted to share the whole thing with you. And uh, I'll shut up and get out of the way here and let you get to the interview. Thanks. We'll catch you after. All right, Carrie, what's up, dude? How are you, man? Chris, I am doing great. Doing great. That's good, dude. That's good. Uh, we're finally getting to do this podcast. We, we talk a lot already through the different things that we work on together. But now we are. We hit the record button and we're in here, man. So thank you. Hey, happy to be here. Glad to talk about numbers with you anytime. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, as we were kind of talking offline, this is going to be a really cool episode to do and a really cool topic because like finance is this really important thing. It's kind of challenging. Marketing is this really important thing. It's kind of challenging. And the two are are related in, in a lot of ways. And I we're going to try to link these two and shed some light on these things. And hopefully we can accomplish that. Um, but uh, I guess to start, you know, I, I do this with, with everything is like, why, why are we even talking about this? Why is it important? Um, and I want to ask you that question to kind of kick things off is like, why is financial cleanliness and attention to finance important for a brewery at all to be focused on or to care about it or dedicate time towards? I love the question. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about this concept of financial literacy. So financial literacy is really understanding the numbers of your business. So you know, you, we have financial statements, we've got income statements, balance sheets, cash flows, metrics, KP, we've got all these numbers that are kind of thrown around. And they all tell us different things. But the overarching why is, you know, when we learn to read and understand the financials of our business, you know, we really gain a measure of control. And I think there's a lot of, there's certainly a lot of uncertainty these days. And there's a lot of uncertainty generally about, and I get this question a lot from clients is I just, you know, I don't know how I'm doing, you know, it's like, I don't know if my numbers are right. 
Uh, I don't exactly know where I need to be. I mean, I know generally I need money in the bank, but I don't really know how to forward forecast what's going to happen tomorrow, next month, the next year. So the why behind you know, really understanding and gaining that financial understanding is, is to gain a measure of control uh, so that we know what actions to take. So we know where our gaps are. We know what's working or not working. Um, so it's, it's literacy in the sense that you know, we can all read a book and read a story and understand what it's telling us for the most part. Uh, but most folks can't really read in numbers. So that's what financial literacy is. And that, that's really what, why I'm doing what I'm doing is to try to show people how numbers can be approachable, how we can kind of start. And they don't need to be super complicated. You know, I think it's something maybe the CPAs and the <laughs> of the world have kind of messed up for everybody else is, oh, it's really yeah. complicated. Debits and credits. I don't talk about any of that stuff. I talk about your business and we relate the numbers to your business and what you're seeing how to interpret the information so you can make ultimately better decisions. Yeah, I'm really, that's a great way to, to start this. Uh, financial literacy is a good term as well. And knowing where you're at is so important to figuring out things and being accurate at where you're at. I remember the first time I hired a bookkeeper, uh, really like the first time we did, it wasn't very good, but you know, we hired this other third-party company in one of the agencies I owned and it was like, man, it's like a, you know, a whole new world situation where it's like, man, we're really looking at things very accurately. We know where we're spending money. We know how much we're spending on each category. And then you can start to like make decisions, like real actionable decisions on things you can do to either reduce costs or forecast out and, you know, budget things appropriately. But you could never really do that before until you, you couldn't do it until you really knew where you're at and you were actually keeping account of all these things, right? Uh, it's eye-opening as a business. Speaking from personal experience, and I'm sure you see that a lot too in talking to people once they see like what, like once they actually see an accurate picture, it has to be like light bulbs going off, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot of, uh, you know, it, some people will come to me and they're like, you know, I'm pretty sure my numbers are all messed up. I don't know what they're telling me. Uh, you know, can you help? And mostly what they, they'll start with is, you know, they're messed up, but I really want to know what, you know, the key metrics are. Tell me what I should, and I said, well, first we got to get your numbers right. So that's the hard work, you know, that, that might come with the reaping the rewards later. So, you know, getting things right, we talk about blocking and tackling. So it's, if you're a football fan, you're not going to get very far in the game if you don't have good blocking and tackling. These are, these are the fundamentals that need to happen. So we need to start with really examining what are your systems right now around your bookkeeping. Um, cause if it's garbage in garbage out, you know, you need to understand here's my process around how I'm processing inventory, uh, inventory, for example, how am I, how am I valuing my inventory, in my brewery, uh, how am I tracking that stuff? How am I tracking the flow of costs? Um, how does that move through the system? How am I looking at my invoices that come in from my suppliers and my vendors? You know, how do I know I'm paying the right thing? How did I know I actually get that? So there's a whole, a whole number of steps that we kind of need to go through to make sure the blocking and tackling is taken care of so that the numbers get in properly. And that takes a little bit of time and a little bit of doing. But once we have that, now we've kind of laid the groundwork for, okay, now we can read and interpret and try to figure out what these numbers are actually telling us. So, you know, I, I guess 
where is some of the practical like uses once you have things accurate? So once you're, you know, you've, you've done the the work on the fundamentals, you're, you're accurate is you're accurate in what you're counting and what you're measuring. You've got some, you're, you're measuring consistent metrics across the board. Like is the next step like forecasting and, and trying to figure out what's next, you know, and looking at, okay, what should May look like? What should June look like? How much cost should I expect here? Like, is that really the next practical application of, you know, this system or, or, or the next step? Yeah. Once, once you have your blocking and tackling, once you have a reasonable understanding of what your process looks like and a reasonable comfort level that I'm getting the outcomes I want from this process. You know, when I pay those bills, I'm confident that I've got the, the necessary documentation, right? The invoice matches up to the purchase order, which I, is what I ordered, which matches up to the bill of lading, which is what I received. Everybody's checked off and counted. I, I feel comfortable paying this. I, I got the right quantity at the right price. Once you've established that, you know, it's really important to have a financial plan. You know, I, I, I'm trying to get away from the word budget because nobody likes that word, but, you know, we all know what it means. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to use the word financial plan because you want to have a plan. Like it's, it's cliche, you know, if you don't have a plan, you know, you don't really know where you're going, right? And and, it, yeah. and that's that can be problematic when, when you're talking about, uh, financial results and cash flow. So yes, it's the first step that I recommend after we get things kind of organized is let's create a plan, you know, and it's uh, let's approach it step by step. Any big project, you break it down into small chunks. Uh, let's look at what outcomes we're trying to get. We want a sales plan, right? We want to try to project what we can expect for sales. We want a margin plan. What are we going to make on those sales? And we want an operating expense plan. What are we going to spend and how does that compare to the, the margin dollars that we expect to get in? And what does that mean for the bottom line? And then we're going to kind of layer in some, some cash flow items that don't necessarily show up on the income statement. So when we're thinking about a financial plan, we really need to project out those things, sales margins and operating expenses and net income. And then we need to take it to the next step and think about, okay, that's interesting. Uh, are there other things that are going to affect cash flow? that aren't comprehended within the income statement, within those, within that net income number. And there are, right? So if, we, if we're borrowing money, uh, we're, we're paying back the bank, you know, we start up a brewery, we borrow, you know, money for equipment and so forth. You know, we're going to have debt service. We're going to have to pay it back. Not all of that is going to show up on the income statement results. So we have principal and interest. So without getting too far in the weeds, the takeaway is we want a financial plan. We want it detailed enough so that we kind of, know how we can track and measure against it. But we also want it simple enough so that we're really focusing on the material items and we're making sure that it's approachable and usable. Because ultimately that's that's the name of the game is we don't just create a financial plan and say, we did it. And then you never look at it again. It has to be literally a roadmap that you're using on a regular basis. This is what we thought would happen. What actually happened? Oh, there's a difference. Why was there a difference? Is that a good difference or a bad difference? What do we need to do differently? So the financial plan can be as simple as comp or as complicated as you like. I opt for simple, um, at least to start. And then you can like anything, you can you can get more sophisticated, but blocking and tackling first, financial plan second. So I wonder if you agree with this statement. Uh, because it's related to, you know, I, I read this on Twitter one time and I like I st- I stole it from there because I thought it was such a good statement. Somebody tweeted it and said that marketing isn't a strategy, it's a process. 
And of course, it's kind of a tweet, so it's supposed to be edgy in its way. But if you think about that, like so much of marketing is about like, what are you doing this week? It's, it's about a practice. It's about the same kind of things. Like what can you get in the habit of doing consistently to win market share, to win customers and so on and so forth? Mm-hmm. The question I have for you is like, is it similar with, with financial literacy and financial practices that it's it's a lot about process and practice and what can you do to keep doing it? over and over so that you maintain, you know, control over your books. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I hadn't, hadn't heard that, but I, yeah, I think it really, there's a lot of parallels because you need to identify what the right, you need to do the right things in order to get the right outcomes and you need to do them consistently and repeatedly. So that doesn't just happen. I mean, there's, you can here download this checklist, do these things and maybe you'll get where you need to be, but you need to sort of test against it. So yeah, I, as a specific example, I talk a lot about, um, your cash flow process. Cause at the end of the day, the most important thing takeaway full stop is the cash flow of your business. You know, we can talk about net income. It's not the same as cash flow. So we really need to focus on cash specifically. So there's certain processes that you really want to understand and do repeatedly and consistently uh, in order to achieve that outcome, you know, having a good positive cash flow. So it's very much the same. We talk about building the cash flow muscle, right? You know, do these cash flow things every day. Uh, it's like it's like hygiene for your financial statements for your bank account. It's you know, if you don't do these things regularly, repeatedly, and consistently, you're you're likely going to run into some challenges. So yeah, it's very much a process, and you there's different you know areas to focus on. Cash flow is just one example, but you can take that uh, to almost every aspect of your financial. And let's face it, I mean your financials are really just a result of the actions that you're taking every day anyway. Your brewers are brewing beer, your packages are, pack- are packaging beer, your taproom staff is serving. They're all doing things that are incurring costs. They're all doing things that are driving revenue. They just happen to manifest themselves in, in numbers that show up on an income statement that you may or may not be reading. So it's happening whether you know it or not. So these financial processes and the discipline to follow them is really just a way to get you know good numbers and get that sort of consistent results. That, that's super important is that consistent action to achieve those results. Well, I, I think of this and, you know, I'm relating my own experience here because uh, I've started up a few businesses and it, it wasn't until, you know, I, I was in my third or fourth iteration of, of running a business where we really took cash flow seriously in like the question that comes to my mind is like, it's a common question is like, well, can I afford to buy this right now? Whatever that is, whether it's hiring someone, whether it's a piece of equipment, whether it's a new computer or whatever, it's like, can I buy this right now? And cash flow was so important to helping us and helping me answer that question because your cash flow kind of projection is you're looking out three or four weeks next month, the following month, it's like, okay, I'm gonna have these bills at this time. I need to have this much money to bank. I got this payment coming up. I got to pay my loan amount. I got to pay payroll. And being able to accurately understand how much cash is going to be needed at what time empowers you to make really smart decisions about the business right now. And until you actually get in the practice of doing that religiously, every, you know, whatever it is, every week, every couple of weeks, every month or whatever, you can't make an accurate analysis. You just can't. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but like, I, I just don't think you can make an accurate choice on what you need to do right now without looking at cash flow and a projection, a cash flow projections. Yeah, I would agree. And it's very comforting to see it. I mean, it may may not like what you see, right? See, this is the other problem why people don't always budget is like, I don't want to budget because I know what I'm going to see. 
you know, I don't want to go to the doctor because I know what they're going to stress me out. (laughs) It's it's probably not the best reason. I mean, I understand, but so you do the projection to kind of get an expectation of what does next month hold? What do the next six months hold? And if you don't like what you see, well, Hey, you're in business, you got to roll up your sleeves and do what you can to fix. Cause there are things that are within our control, you know, that we can, whether we, we may not like to make those choices, but you know, absent the visibility on what's coming, the other choice, do nothing, hope for the best. And that's another line, right? Hope isn't a strategy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fly by the seat of your pants. We have cash today. So we're open. <laughs> right. We're operational. You might, you might be okay, but you also might go out of business. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of businesses uh, run out of cash and they're dead in the water. And there's there's really no there's no saving that. So we, you know, I really preach a lot is you know, you need to understand your cash position. You need to have a good cash forecast and you really need uh, access to uh, not only cash, but capital or other sources whereby if, if you run into trouble um, and we've run into trouble the last two years with COVID and I can guarantee you it won't be the last, might be the last of COVID we can hope, but it won't be the last downturn in the market, downturn in the economy, whether that's market specific for you or more you know, globally like we've seen. Uh, so yeah, building those processes around good cash flow management is is really integral. You know, another you know question that comes to mind that I think is related to this when we think about projections and decisions we need to make in the future uh, is you know I'll be selfish in mentioning the marketing budget. You know, I think that's there's many things that uh, you know come up that you want to make decisions about, but the marketing budget and how much money you really have and can afford and need to spend in order to hit your goals is related to this. It's like, okay, how much money do we have? How much do we need to set aside for marketing? Um, and uh, I wonder how much, how much do you talk about that with, with your clients? Is that a common question for you? And they're like, well, how much can I even spend? Like, what does that question even look like from, from your perspective? Yeah. They ask all the time and, you know, I give them, I give them two answers by the answer they want. And then I give them the, the truth. <laughs> so Yeah. The answer that they want is give me a rule of thumb. You know, what percentage should I spend? And I'll throw out a number and just mostly to quiet them down so I can get to the next level. Say, you know, really, you probably want to be three to 5%, let's say. But it really depends, right? Like how much, what is your revenue now? If your revenue is zero, three to 5% is zero. That's not going to get you very far. Uh, If your revenue is a hundred million dollars, you make you three to five, that's a lot of money. Maybe you don't need to be at that level. So it's it's a bigger question um, so again, a rule of thumb might be fine, three to five percent. But the real answer is, you want to look at your marketing spend in the context of your overall operating expense plan. What other items do you have? Well, we you know we really want to hire an event coordinator. Okay, well, what's that going to do to the overall financial picture? Well, we really need to buy some more kegs. Okay, well, what's that going to do to your cash flow? And how does that? So it's sort of like an organism, right? Your whole financial plan is all interdependent. So you really need a financial plan that spells out sales margins, operating expenses, your details, and then you can make, then you can prioritize in there. Then you can say, well, you know, I think we're going to hold off on this position because we'd rather add to our marketing budget because we think these things are going to be more effective. Um, so it is a bit of a moving, moving target in that regard. So it, it depends on those things, like how, how big are you? Uh, it, it also depends how much value you place on marketing. Um, you know, cause some breweries are all in other breweries are not. So it's very much, um, it's, it's dependent on what your, not just your philosophy 
but what your strategies, your tactics, and your objectives, and what you think is going to be uh, an effective outcome. So it's it's a great question. It happens all the time, and unfortunately, there is there's I think a series of questions that you need to run through in order to get to the real answer. Yeah. Um, or you can just say, hey, five percent. Yeah, it's a tough one, even for me to answer, because there's so many like, well, it depends, it depends, it depends. I love what you said about prioritizing, because, you know, again, it's related to understanding where you're at, having control of your finances, being able to you know, understand where you're going to be roughly in the next you know, short amount of time, quarter, six months. But being able to place a priority on certain things, like what, what matters the most to your brewery right now? Do you need to be advertising to bring in business or can you lay off advertising for a little while so that you can hire someone and staff up? You know, what does the priority you know, list look like for you? And then you've got your, your bank of money, so to speak, that you can utilize, your resources that you can use and how best can you utilize those? Um, but specifically with, with the marketing budget, compared to how much money you have, it, there, there are rule of thumbs out there. Like if you go and research, like how much should I spend in marketing? It's like, well, five, 10, 15, 20%. It does depend on your business. It does depend on your financial situation. But I think that something I will add to what you've said is like, it, it's about scale. So like, what's your position right now as a business? Are you in a position where you need to grow rapidly? If so, then your marketing budget probably needs to look like, you know, higher 10, 15, 20%, depending on how aggressive you really need to be, how many competitors you have, how many, uh, you know, how many other people are in your, in your space advertising, that kind of thing. But if you're already established, you know, you've got strong market share, people know who you are, you've got good cash flow flowing in. You know, I never say don't spend money in marketing. Like you don't want your marketing budget to be zero. You want to maintain, but your percentage of your overall available cash or available spend is way lower than if you need to be aggressive or not. And then you could you could imagine it as a scale beyond there. It's like how aggressive? Okay, I'm an eight out of a ten, or I'm a six out of a ten, or I'm a four out of a ten, um, and you can go from there. And then it's about what you can afford to. If five percent of your top line revenue is is $20,000 and you're like, I don't have a $20,000 marketing budget. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't need to be 5%, but think about where you're at scale-wise to be able to pull that off. Um, Yeah, so, you know, that's that's an interesting question. Another one that comes to mind too is like, it's related is like, how do I price my stuff? You know, the reason I think this is related is because margin is part of this and margin helps cash flow. (laughs) You know, this is where you actually make, you know, your money to make decisions on stuff. And it's another really sticky one. It's like, how do we price stuff? Um, and I wanted to ask you, like, do you have any like, like best practices or, or a ways that you approach developing a price model for a brewery? Yeah, it starts with the, so the components of, and to answer that question properly is you want to understand what it costs to make your products. And if you're, if you're simply brewing beer and selling it through the tap room, you know, the cost is frankly not as important. It's important, but it's not as important. But if you're if you're self-distributing, you're putting your product into cans and bottles and this, that, and the other, and or you're going through a wholesaler, uh, understanding your cost is critical, and particularly throughout your portfolio. And the margins can be very different whether you're selling, say, keg beer, draft beer versus, uh, you know, 12-pack cans. It's, it's remarkable and stunning. And, you know, we saw that a lot during the pandemic when, there was so much shifting, right? Nobody could sell draft beer. So we all went into cans and then you found out 
uh, one way or the other that, wow, my margins are not as good on these as they were in draft. What happened? I'm not making as much money. Yeah, um, and then you had supply chain issues and all that other good stuff. But so, yeah, the starting point with pricing is really to have a good costing strategy. And if you've got brewery management software and you've got it set up properly, it, it can happen almost automatically. Uh, if you don't and you're, and you're doing things more with spreadsheets, which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so long as you can kind of get your hands around it, that you really do understand, you know, what are the costs of to make my beer? What are the costs to put these in different package configurations and, and run through your portfolio? So I do a, the simple exercises. Let's start with your best selling beer because everybody has one. And let's look at the different types of ways in which you sell that. Okay, so you got a half barrel, maybe you got a, a one six barrel. Maybe you got four pack, 16 ounce cans on and on, whatever your configurations are. You most have, you know, four to six different configurations. And then let's, let's cost them out. You know, what does it cost for that half barrel versus that two 12 pack can? And then you lay that out. And then you say, what are, if you're already selling your beer, what is, what are the prices for each of these? And you may be selling it. Uh, say through your tap room, say you have those four packs, uh, you may be also self-distributing, you may be using a wholesale or some combination. And then I suggest that you kind of look at the price points for each way that you go to market. So what, what am I making on that beer if I sell it through the tap room? Well, it's say it's $12.99, just make it up, you know, for $12.99 four pack. And, you know, the thing only cost me whatever, five bucks. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, and then you do that through self-distribution, you know, you've got other costs there and a wholesaler, and you can look at what the margin impact is. So the first is they say, seek to understand. First, seek to understand what your costs are. And the next is look at what you're pricing. And if you, and if you haven't already, if you're still in sort of the planning phase, like, well, I don't know what to price. I haven't started my brewery. I don't know what to price it for. That's where this exercise can be very useful because then you can look and see, here's what I think I'd like to price it at. Oh, that margin will work for me. And now you have to take the next step, which is um, test it against reality, right? What does reality actually tell you? You go out in the market and you say, well, let's start with some comparable brands. Well, that IPA and my IPA, I think we're kind of on, I want to be priced kind of similar to that. Well, that he's on the shelf. They're on the shelf at $9.99. Oh, geez, I wasn't going to do that. Okay. And then you take the $9.99 price to consumer, consumer on the shelf and you work it back and see if that's going to hold up and allow you to achieve your financial results, the margin expectations that you need. And again, that's all in the context of your financial plan. So your financial plan is going to tell you, hey, I need a blended, whatever it is, 45% margin. And then I go and run these price scenarios. And uh, wow, I'm only getting 30% on that. Something doesn't add up. And this can, this can be useful too, if you're launching a new product, or in particularly if you're launching a new package. So does the 12 pack example you know, if you're a brewery out there and you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, we've been thinking about 12 packs. Well, I would encourage you to look at what are the costs? What are your expectations for pricing? What does that do to your margin? Can you live with that? How does that affect your overall blend? And then don't, don't forget if you're working through wholesalers and even self-distributing, you know, you've got deal pricing. So deal pricing, you know, dollar off, it happens all the time. You know, this, that, and the other. And it's going to likely, you do deals so that you can get volume, but you're also getting less margin per so you kind of have to factor that into what your total margin is. So pricing is a, a, you know, a deep discussion. You know, I've definitely yeah, got yeah. some templates that I can um, share. I saw that you had a, uh, you have a whole blog, blog article and a podcast on pricing. And yeah. I encourage 
anybody to go check it out because you've got like really cool visuals in there. You talk about these different factors. You got like a spreadsheet that you're looking at, which it's really makes a lot more sense to look at the stuff looking at a spreadsheet. It's hard to visualize it uh, through audio or through, you know, just us talking. But I really like that you mentioned looking at the market because I think it's almost a mistake, at least from my perspective, to just do straight cost plus. It's like, all right, this is my cost. This is what I want the margin to be. Boom. Because you might be missing something in the market on either side. You could be missing you're way too expensive and no one's going to buy your stuff anyways because you're priced out. Or you could be way underpriced and you're missing potential margin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but understanding where the market is at is super important. And your point about the financial plan too, once you understand where the market's at, where your margin is, maybe there's some work you can do on the cost side. Like what actions can you take to reduce costs or spread that cost over a wider period of time to try to reduce down costs? Like um, I I just had a conversation with uh, a brewery client of mine that's like dealing with labels and it's like labels can be expensive, especially with materials and their supplier had an issue where, they don't have the material they were using before. So now they've got to switch to another material. It's going to be a little bit more expensive. So his solution was we should buy more of it, reduce our cost down. It's going to be more cost right now, but over time it fits with our financial plan, so on and so forth. But unless you really understood the full picture here, you're not going to be able to make a, a smart choice on, on that front. Um, but anyways, I, I think your point about looking at the market was, was especially nice. I think it's, I'm a marketer, so I'm like, yeah, you should always look at that. That's, well, that's what you should pick, be doing all the time. Let me pick uh, up on the cost. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, you know, it's everything looks good on a spreadsheet. But once you go to reality, it may not match up. But yeah, yeah. your point about cost. So this, I love what you just said. It reminded me of a, so another practical use of sort of financial literacy is really so that once you know, right, you've got the knowledge, now you can really dig in and do something about it. So once you, it's very interesting to, to me that, once you write down and you list out and you get to know your costs, you do, you start, your, your brain naturally thinks, well, huh, could I do that differently? You know, maybe we can get a better price on this. Maybe I don't have to order that anymore. Maybe I can contract out this and lock in a lower rate. Maybe I can, the brainstorming is just really cool. I find that stuff really cool. So there's two, there's two sides of the equation, right? There's what are you going to charge for it? What does it cost you to make it? That's it. So you can work on those two <laughs> yeah. variables, right? Because yeah. we always take a price increase. You know, eventually, okay, yeah, I could take a price increase. And what would that look like? How is that going to impact volume? I don't know, but here's what it might look like. But cost is very controllable. And then again, once you gain the awareness of what are my costs, what are all the flavors of costs? Because there's lots, right? Packaging, production, equipment. Let finish. Let's talk about, uh, you know, how are you... Uh, dealing with your kegs you know are you buying these kegs are you tracking where they are these these factor into your cost so there's so many opportunities i would say it can be really cool but you you're basically once you do that cost exercise you're making a list of potential areas uh to improve your financial results you really are yeah you can war game at that point war game. And, and play around and, and think about different scenarios and and uh by the way you might not be right on a decision you make but if you're measuring it accurately over and over and over, like you can understand that quickly and make a decision next month. You know, same with with you know advertising. I tell this to clients all the time. I said, I say that like we're not going to know really until we see what happens in the marketplace. We really look at engagement. We look at traffic. We look at what piece of collateral we may think 
an ad is amazing and we love it, but then we throw it in the market and it tanks. It bombs. Nobody likes it. Uh, it just goes nowhere. And we have to be humble enough to say, all right, that was that was a bad idea. Let's learn from it to do something different. But I think you know the same would be true with, with your ongoing financial process. Like, okay, that didn't work. You know, the price increase impacted volume negatively. We got to bring price back, you know, a little bit down, but maybe we can mess around with something else and try to try to do that for a little while. Um, is there like any kind of like thinking about this experimentation idea is like, is there any time frame that you'd put around making these kind of financial decisions and seeing them play out? Is it, is a month long enough or should you be thinking more in quarters and, and half years or, or is it really weekly or even daily where you need to be looking at the stuff and making decisions and seeing them play out? What would you, what would you say to that? I think it depends on, you know, what it is and the materiality of it. So for example, if you're launching a new product, right? So that might be a, one that folks wrestle with all the time. Um, you know, I want to go out in 12 packs and some questions that I might have are, uh, you know, I've already got say six packs in the market. I'm a little worried about this concept of cannibalization, right? If I launch a 12 pack, maybe I get the sale there and I lose the sale in the six pack and the six packs have better margins. So I just, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, so for something like that, where you've got kind of a blend of a financial outcome, that you're trying to achieve. And, that, and then you've also got sort of a, a, a branding outcome. Like, what are you? Are you the 12-pack brewery or the six-pack brewery or both or what, what's happening? So you don't want consumer confusion. So there's lots to consider in that example. Um, but I guess what I would say is I would start with having a good way to kind of track and measure uh, what your outcomes are and then against what objective that you're trying to achieve. So the cannibalization piece, you know, you know where your products are if you're out at retail. Uh, and you know generally what you have for placements and generally what you've had for for turn within those. So you've got a way to kind of historically measure against. So I would set those systems up first, and then I would let the thing run, and then you can test and measure against it. Um, so what is the right time frame on that? Hard to say. I mean, if you're coming in, say with a twelve pack with a seasonal, I mean you can you can test it for that season, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's ways to experiment with different package types outside of your core brand. You know, there's pluses and minuses to this. Uh, you know, a special release, you can only get it in 12 packs. Well, that shouldn't cannibalize anything else. So maybe that takes that off the table. Um, But really, I think it would come back to understanding what are the cost implications? What are the margin implications of doing something like that? Um, And then having those good systems to kind of track and measure against it. But there's, there's a million ways that you can think about that question that you asked, like how long should you, should you let this run? And I do think it's going to really depend on uh, kind of the materiality of it. Is this, is this a project? Uh, is this something? So, so maybe another example is, you know, we want to enter into a new market, right? That's another, you know, we're going to open up a new state. Oh, geez. What does that look like? All right. So we, again, we want a financial plan for that. What are our expectations for sales and margins? What do we need a salesperson up there? Uh, are we going to be running, you know, what is this going to mean? And then maybe that's a longer run rate because it's going to take a while to get in maybe say, so I think you set these goals up front. And you, and you look at, again, the materiality of it. If it's a new market, you'd say, we want to give this at least a couple of years to take root, you know, for example. If it's a new package type, you know, maybe we're looking at one season or six months or a full cycle, full selling cycle, things of that nature. Um, but I think the fundamentals are have good ways to kind of track what your goals are and what outcomes you're achieving related to those. Yeah, it's everyone's favorite answer is that it depends. 
depends. I try not to say that, but it is true. I, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it does depend. You're right. I think, I think though, your comments are super helpful because, you know, yeah, it depends, but really understanding what it depends on and planning to measure those things over time and having like a, a reasonable forecast and a plan put forth to, to understand that stuff. Um, yeah, speaking of measuring stuff, you know, what do we measure? You know, uh, it's, that's another really good question that I think both of us field plenty of times. Like, what are the KPIs we should care about? You know, uh, cause there's a million things you could be looking at, especially true in the marketing world. There's like a bajillion metrics and these platforms want to shove everything in your face, but there's, there's a few that really matter, um, a lot, but I want to ask that question of you. It's like, you know, when we're thinking about financial planning and sales growth and these kind of things, like what are the KPIs that, you know, we should be focused on for, for growth? Let's, let's narrow it down to growth and say, all right, what are the growth KPIs? Right. So it really depends on where, how you go to market. So if we talk about for taproom growth, I'm generally going to measure two or three things, right? How many customers are going to come in? What do they spend when they do? And that's really going to let it, just like we talked about price and cost. If I kind of keep it simple and then I drill down on those two simple things, I can then brainstorm on how to make them better, right? The end result. Can I change the price a little bit? Yeah, you can a little bit. Can I change the cost? Yeah, you can reduce that a little bit. Guess what? You, you just spread your margin. Um, so if we talk about the tap room, it's who's coming in, what are they spending when they get there? So how can I get more people in and get them to spend more? So then I can just focus on those two things. Another thing might, a third metric might be, what is the frequency with which they return? So when, when I was back in my CPA days, we, we would talk about a rate volume calculus. This is rate and volume. So volume, how many people come in? Rate, what do they spend? That's it. So like just really simplify it. And then you can get more complicated with all of your marketing tactics, promotional tactics, everything, everything that we know, you know, and then we can experiment with, with what works and see how it influences uh, those metrics. So those are pretty simple and straightforward and maybe almost too much. So people overlook them. Well, I want something better. Well, that, that's how sales happen. Customers and what they spend. And uh, so that's that. And then on this, on the distribution side, once you leave your tap room, you know, you're really looking at um, a couple of things is, you know, you kind of want to measure what your market penetration is. So you kind of start with what is the market? So we look at how many available outlets are there for my beer? So say in a given market where you distribute or want to distribute, say there's a thousand accounts. And then you kind of want to winnow that into how many are, re are really good sites for my beer? Well, probably half, maybe a third. So let's say 300 of them. And then you're going to track and see how many of those accounts, you know, am I in right now if you've already been distributing? So basically what's your, what percentage of the available market that you, you your target market are actually purchasing your product? So that might, that might be one is what's the account listing? How many are we placed in? So we just boil it down and say, what are, what are our placements look like? And what that can do, which is kind of interesting is it can give you a buy, no buy. This is very common for a distribution world is it'll run me a buy, no buy account. There's X number of accounts that can buy it. There's only 50% of X that are buying it. And then we've established kind of a target market. Let's go talk to those accounts. It's very simple, but you know, once you have that data, those are important ways to kind of drive revenue. And then, so I would probably leave it there, but you can continue on down and you want to look at shelf space and you want to look at velocity per location. How fast is my beer kind of running through? How fast am I, you know, replenishing that? 
you know, what does that volume per outlet look like? Because uh, in any scenario, we're going to see accounts. Uh, it's the classic 80-20 analysis. You know, 80% of your volume is going to come from 20% of your customers. Well, which ones are they? Let's spend more time there. So I like to suggest that people understand and use the 80-20 analysis to help drive their business like that. Because it's going to be, we have two things that drive our business. It's our customers and it's our products. And if we do an 80-20 on each of those, that can be very uh, enlightening because we can say, wow, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize how much business. So if I'm going to 300 accounts, I guess I didn't realize how much business on those 25 accounts are. That's yeah. 80% of my business. And it almost always happens that way. You run it and you're like, that can't be right. Well, that actually is right. So then we can make decisions like, well, why don't I spend more time with those 25? Because that's where the majority of, yep, and if yep. I can increase that, I'm going to exponentially, you know, do better than I would if I was trying to spend time on those 270 other accounts. Um, so that's kind of how I think you can go on and on. The, I think the, the relationships thing, between the numbers matter too. Uh, like, yeah. The, like, you know, your, your percentage increase month to month, quarter to quarter, year over year on these things that you're measuring. Like, like I think that matters a ton because, and I'm, I'm related this to a question of like, well, what should my numbers be at? And I think that's the next logical question with a lot of this stuff, but it's like, well, there's the industry standard. Sure. But like, you should be probably measuring your results based on what you've been doing. You know, how much growth are you receiving? You talk about those, those key accounts, those 20 to 25 accounts, like, well, are we achieving growth in those accounts? Like what's our percentage growth there? Do we lose, you know, do we shrink out of those? That's a really, really important number in all this stuff, because that's going to help you make decisions on any of this stuff. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that comes back to the financial plan. So if we were to zoom Zoom in, I guess, on the financial plan a little bit. You know, one big component of it is the sales plan. And that's not just one or two or five line items on your income statement. I mean, it is, but there's um, essentially a detailed sales plan that supports that overall sales growth objectives that we have on our income statement. That sales plan can be exactly what you just said is, you know, I know what these 25 accounts are. I'm going to set targets for each of them. In terms of growth, what did they buy last year? What new brands are coming out? What are they? What do we anticipate they're going to buy next year? We think growth of X, say ten percent for our best account. Well, okay. What did we do last year? Well, we grew. We grew at eight percent. We're going to grow at ten. Why? How are we going to grow more? And then you have action items that kind of support that. So then that financial plan can be distributed, you know, to your sales team in that example, uh, and they know what the targets are. And then you can get even more granular and say, all right, well, it's it's that account, but what are they buying? You said they're going to grow 10% of what? Like which products? Okay. Well, it's going to be, we're, we're rolling out 12 packs. We expect that. That's going to be new. That should be incremental. That should not be. And then you get um, just that level of detail. And again, you're trying to balance, like you don't want to overwhelm everybody, but you do want to have enough granularity in your plan so that you can measure against it. To your point, you know, what were my expectations in these top 25? And what am I actually achieving? And I do need to look at that on a regular basis. And, and very often what you can do too is you can align that with say compensation for the sales team. So if the goal is 10% growth in your number one account and this person is your sales, you align their compensation with hitting that goal, hitting and, and achieving and exceeding that goal. So you can connect all these things yeah, together. Great point. Great point. And this is, this is the exciting moment because 
like so much of how we did make decisions on what we're going to market and how we're going to do it matter for this reason. Because if you make the decision, okay, we want to try to grow these 10 accounts, um, you could run your marketing campaigns around those 10 accounts. You could literally pop a one mile geofence around that location. And if you're introducing 12 packs into that zone, you should be running ads about 12 packs in that zone. And then like people ask, like, how do you measure the impact of marketing? It's, it's really tough in this industry because unlike other like digital, like e-commerce stuff, which a lot of marketing is focused on, there's like a direct line with e-commerce. We spent X, we got the click here, we, they purchased, we could see the line with, with this. It's not as direct at all. Like we, we run ads and we don't really know how many people bought stuff with those ads. But what we can tell is overarching trends. And if we ran ads for 12 packs on these 10 accounts over these 12 or 10 locations, and then saw how that impacted our previous numbers when we've been running 12 packs in that zone before, okay, we can make a reasonable estimation that marketing had X kind of impact, had had some kind of impact on it in that space. And that is a way smarter way to approach your marketing than let's just advertise to everybody, you know, in a 10 mile radius or whatever. It's like, can they even buy a 12 pack? <laughs> like you're going to hit them with the 12 pack and there's, there's not a 12 pack for four miles. Like it's not really reasonable. Probably not. So, you know, this is why I think it's exciting that we're having this conversation right now, because that's how you bridge these connections is where do we, where do we need to go? Then use marketing as your tool to help you achieve those things. But if you don't know what you're trying to achieve at the gate, at the gate, then marketing might not help you at all. It might help. You might get lucky. Sometimes you hit, you know, but if you're not being tactical about it, then you could miss big time. And to your point, it's, it's about knowing where you're at and, and having your plan and then building your strategy from yeah. that. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's spot on. And you kind of said at the beginning, like we're going to bring this sort of financial planning and marketing plan together and how we're not quite sure how we're going to do it. And that's how you do it. Right. Yeah. Maybe the financial plan is really going to identify targets and then the marketing is going to execute on, you know, the plan, the promotion, whatever it is towards that. And then you'll have systems to say, did that, did that work or not? Uh, you're not always going to know for 100%, but you certainly will know if you tighten the noose the way that you just described. And then, cause there's always other factors, right? If you layer in a compensation plan, well, it worked. Did it work because of the compensation plan or the marketing? That's where you can kind of, te- right. You can test these trial and error. Well, don't do the compensation plan. Just do the marketing, see what happens. And then, and then just do the comp plan and see what happens and then put them together and see what happens. So you can uh, come at it from all these different ways, but it really does start with the, with the plan, financial plan. Where am I going? Marketing plan. How am I going to get, you know, those sales? Yeah, this has been incredibly enlightening. Thank you for allowing me the chance to ask these questions because yeah, yeah, I've dealt with finances, you know, through the businesses that I've owned, but talking to somebody who really knows this stuff and has, you know, a ton of experience dealing with it in this industry is enlightening. Um, but I'll turn the, I'll turn the page on you. If you have the time, I will totally say, Hey, you challenged me, man. Like what, what questions do you have from the financial perspective about marketing and see, see what I can answer for you. I would love to do that. And this is, this is the side of the microphone I'm usually on and more comfortable on, but I, <laughs> you, you're, you're a great, yeah. uh, you're a great asker of questions and I, I enjoyed that conversation. It's great. You know, to have someone, it's so important to have someone that's sort of interested and, you know, wants to know, right. Cause it, cause that gets me kind of going like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to, you know, provide 
what I think is right, but also enough space to to leave room for other other ways of achieving a certain goal. But I really enjoyed uh, the questions. Great job there. I'm learning too, man. And, and that's it's part of the experience and the journey with me is like, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. So I'm excited about learning. I'm like, oh, I got to ask you this question. I got to ask you this question. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. So I'm happy to. All right. Well, get ready because now I have the interviewer hat on and you are the interviewee. Are you ready? Oh, okay, here we go. Okay. I want to start with just sort of a, a, a broad question. Um, just to kind of prime the pump. So what projects are you working on these days? I mean, what, what's got you excited? And that could be specific. It could be general. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of what we're doing in this space is, is, you know, we're working with breweries, of course, but a lot of it's like taproom support, uh, I would say, um, you know, you know, we're running ads for, you know, trying to get people into the taproom, a lot of social media stuff. Um, you know, we, what, what is exciting about that is, you know, we're learning how to flex our creative muscles more, like in order to really pop and stand out in these feeds, you have to have cool creative stuff. And that's what, that's cool to me. Like I've always been the data guy and now I'm like, all right, I could, I could work with these really cool creative people and, and make beautiful looking content that we put out into the feeds. It's like, that's really dope. Like, like when we make this ad about like, you know, grilling for the first time in the season, you can hear the sizzle in the, in the steak on the grill. And we try to tie that into, you know, uh, you know, drinking beer and having that be part of your lifestyle. It's like, that was cool. We did that. Um, so that, that's what excites me about it. Uh, you know, we are doing some distribution advertising too, where we're not really advertising for the distributor. We're trying to support the brewery's distribution efforts. So we'll, we'll talk to them about where you're being distributed. Do you have a locations list? Can we load that locations list into one of these ad platforms and run ads around the grocery stores and the tap rooms that you're serving in? And, can that help improve brand awareness, improve sales? That's that's like that's the data part of me. That I'm like, this is really neat. We can be really targeted. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what that's I guess what I'm working on right now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's so important. And that does lead me to the old ROI question: your return on investment. And we did, you know, we dug into this a little bit uh, with some of the questions you asked relative to you know, how do I know that my marketing dollars are returning something to you? So when we, when we buy a piece of equipment, you know, canning line is the classic example. We, we were bringing in an outside canning service and we know what it costs and we're going to buy a canning line. And, and now we know what it'll cost to do our own. And, oh, there's a return on investment. I have to outlay the cash now, but I want to get that back. So aside from the financial components, like how do you kind of guide your clients or how do you have them think about sort of maybe non-financial return on investment metrics? What might be some examples of those? Yeah, good question. I mean, the finances are, at the end of the day, that's what matters most. It's like, are you making money or not? Are you making more money than you did last year or last month, depending on the month, of course. But there are metrics that lead you to understand if that might happen. Because nothing happens overnight. You're not going to run an ad this week and all of a sudden make money next week. Sometimes that happens, but it's about momentum. It's about consistency. So you have to try to understand, is what I'm doing now going to lead me to money, hopefully at the end of this road, or is it leading me in the wrong direction? And there are KPIs that you want to look at. Like first and foremost, are you reaching enough people? Like reach is a massively important number that I think it's overlooked way too many times, especially by these platforms that are like, oh, you got so many engagements and stuff. It's like, well, how many people did you actually show ads to? Because if you don't show ads to enough people or show your content to enough people, enough new people, then you're not going to get new sales into the tap room. It doesn't just happen through osmosis. So 
increasing your reach over time and stacking that up by the tens of thousands, very, very important. Um, I think frequency is another really, really important metric and that's related to impressions and it's also related to reach and I'll unpack all three of these. So reach is the number of people that you're actually showing stuff to. Impressions is the number of times you showed your ad and frequency is that is the ratio between the two. So how many times did you show something to one person on average, right? You can't really see per person because that data is protected, but um, you can you can see averages. And that frequency number kind of gives you an indication like, how, are, we, are we showing up enough times to enough people to influence their behavior? And uh, so those three numbers are really, really important. Um, you want to you have a good reach, I would say probably like, you know, definitely over two is what you want to shoot for. You want to be showing something to somebody more than twice, uh, you know, five times, six times, seven times is probably getting high in that, in that number. And if you're not achieving that frequency, then you've got to think about like a couple of things, either maybe you need to spend more money to, to re to achieve a frequency with the amount of reach you're trying to get, or maybe you need to shrink your target. Say, all right, maybe we need to focus on targeting, a reach population of 30,000 people instead of 100,000 people because we can actually have a meaningful impact on this 30,000 people instead. And that's better than, you know, trickling out like through a faucet, little tiny drips to a big audience. You know, you can you can attack and, and actually win over a smaller audience. So those three numbers are huge, but you also want to look at your like engagement rate metrics too. So like, are people liking and following and clicking on your content? Are people clicking through to your website? or to your, wherever you're trying to push them to your event pages or whatever. Those numbers kind of tell you if your content is in your ads are actually being well-received. Because if you show your content to like tens of thousands of people, but not that many people actually engage with it, then chances are your content kind of sucked, right? People didn't like it. Um, but if you show that to them and you see a lot of engagement or you see your engagement continue to increase, then chances are your content is being well-received, you're earning some trust, you're building some awareness, and that should eventually lead to money down the pipe. All those kind of things together kind of make up your, your marketing KPI. So reach, impressions, frequency, engagement, those are the big four, really. Mm, I like that. I like how you kind of, you simplified that. I mean, so for me, the whole, you know, social media marketing online is a bit, is still a bit of a coming into focus. So I like having, uh, you know, tactical ways to think about that. So, you know, People what, overcomplicate it all the time. It's yeah. like, they're like, oh, it's, it's this big beast of things I've got to think about with different social media channels. And it's like, it's really not like it's reach impressions, frequency, like, and where can you get that for the best rate? And where's your audience at? And that, that simplifies it a lot for these social platforms, for sure. Nice. So one of the more common questions I get from brewery owners about marketing, it's, it's, it's not even a question, really. It's more of a lament. It's more of a... <laughs> I love laments. <laughs> the lament is, you know, how do I get people to, to, to notice me? How do I get people to be aware that I'm here? Uh, and I get to come in, you know, so it's really a lot about brand recognition. So it is hard to stand out these days. So how do you, how do you guide people or what, what are some interesting marketing ideas or tactics that you found particularly effective? Yeah. So that's a great lament, a great question and a great, it's, it's a common problem. I think with a lot of breweries, I think a lot of small business owners is like, well, how do I get people to pay attention to me? First and foremost, you need to be like, you need to push your comfort level of what 
you think is probably annoying your audience. And like, I, I just had a conversation with a really, really cool person that um, really cool marketer that talked about this is like, if you, the way she said it was, if you think you're being annoying to your audience, you're probably just barely starting to actually have an impact on them. So in order to do that, you with these platforms and with anywhere out in the digital space or with the advertising space, you have to pay to play. So you've got to be promoting your content. You probably got to put some dollars behind it and get this in front of people a lot. Now, if you're already doing that, the question I think you asked too is like, how do you stand out? I think you have to create stuff that is eye-catching and, and enjoy it or is, I'm trying to think of the word like uh, enjoyable by your audience. And in order to understand that, you have to blend like what you want to be, like what your brand is and what actually looks good in the marketplace. And there's no one size fits all to this. And a really good tactic for understanding how to do this is like, you've got to research. So look at other accounts that are producing really good content and start following them, start noting their accounts and and saving some of that content, taking screenshots, putting it in a folder, bringing that up with your team, whoever's helping you with social media and say, Hey, look, this is content. I really like, I think we could do a good job at this. I think our stuff would look good like this. Let's try to replicate that a little bit. Maybe take our own spin on it, but let's try to emulate that. Um, and, uh, and go that route. Like you've got to try to make stuff look nice and clean. You know, a common thing I see with breweries that are struggling is they either have really poor photography that doesn't look very good on social compared to what everybody else is seeing, or they're like using like all text graphics, like every one of their posts or every one of their ads is just like a flyer that's got like 200 words on it or something. That stuff just doesn't look good. And if, if you, if you looked through the fees and you became kind of a consumer of beer content, you know, you put on your consumer hat, you would see that, okay, this is what is getting engaged with. This is what people like. And now I could kind of model my content around that. Mm, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Those, and then I guess, speaking of that, you know, fundamentals, because, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, what's, what's new, you know, what's new today. And we, we are, we are uh, sort of drawn to the new, but then even, you know, in the finance world, it's, it's really a lot about fundamentals, you know, and it's not a whole lot new. Yeah. There's some new metrics I could show you tactics, but I guess if you think about marketing, you know, what are some fundamentals that just work that perhaps people are, and you mentioned one there, I think with, you, know, you got to have good photography, but what do you see? I guess two part question. What are fundamentals that just work and what are maybe consistently overlooked or omitted or missed by, yeah. by barriers? Good question. Uh, my marketing 101 teacher told me this and I'll never forget it. I bring it up all the time when I'm, I'm talking to people about marketing is that he asked the class one day, he said, what's the definition of marketing? What does that mean? People are raising their hands and they're like sales and advertising and all these different things. And eventually he stops the class and goes, no, marketing is communication. It's all it is. It's about communication of value, really. So if you take that like as a fundamental to what you're doing with marketing, that's what it is. And I think a lot of people, a lot of businesses mess this up is that they they like want to advertise, they want to make sales, but they're not really communicating their values properly. So a fundamental is to figure out what your values are. Like, what are you really good at? What is the differentiation factor that you're bringing to the marketplace? What joy are you bringing to somebody? Understand that and then communicate that. Mm-hmm. Then it's about what vehicle are we using to communicate that? Are we going to use a reel? Are we going to use an image? Are we going to use a video? Are we going to write a landing page and sell 
you know, services or whatever the case is, whatever that is, it's all about communicating values. So understand what your values are and then communicate those values. Everything else, like, you know, other fundamentals, you know, understanding your target market is, you know, from the get-go, especially if you're a brewery that's going to start out for the first time, you know, you need to really take a serious look at what your potential audience is, like who those people are. Think about really who they are. Who are you going after? You know, what age are they? What gender are they? What kind of activities do they enjoy doing? Like what kind of personality they have? What impacts their decisions? What dis- what are they buying in the grocery store? When when people do consumer research, when you get these marketing companies and you spend tens of thousands of dollars on them to come and, and help you market your brand better, this is where Kroger and Tide and, and these big companies, they spend tons of money on market research. What these people are doing is they're like analyzing the way people make decisions and thinking about what else are they buying along with products and how can you fit into their, you know, life? You know, how can you fit into, into their, into their cupboard or their shelf or whatever? I think you got to think like that with your brand too. It's like, okay, I'm in this location. What other bars and things to do are around here? What other activities are there? Like I have a brewery client that is right next to a concert venue, one of the biggest and best concert venues in the country. So it's like, well, People are probably going to pick up beer or they go to concerts pretty frequently. How can we kind of make our brand about that? How can we speak to that audience? And uh, that's, that's all about understanding who you're, who you're going after. So communicating value, understanding who you're going after from there. It's, it's kind of like what we talked about, get reach in that audience, get impressions in that audience, you know, get frequency and, and get engagement. And that's what really makes a good marketing plan work. Love it. Yeah, I think it's. I'm. I'm more and more sort of recognizing that I. I love models and operating principles and formulas. Right. What. What a surprise. And I love numbers. But, you know, I think formulas extend beyond just, you know, one plus one equals two. Right. It's. It's what you just said. Is, you know, let's let's simplify this to what works. Um, you know, you're communicating value, and you're finding your target audience. And then you're using those handful of metrics and let's just do that. Uh, Cause I do think it becomes quite overwhelming and complex very quickly. And then people do maybe get overwhelmed and don't say, do the marketing consistently because I don't, I don't know, that's too hard. But if, if you do those fundamentals, so I think that really bears repeating is here, here's, here's a methodology that works. Uh, it's straightforward. Uh, you know, you can put it on a t-shirt almost, right? Maybe we should do some t-shirts. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Yeah. Bumper stickers. Communicate value. That's it. <laughs> and, then, and then the Period. last, well, there you go. I mean, you do that and you're, you're probably ahead of 80% of those out there. Um, really so are. I love that. I, I think that's great. And so it what the decisions you need to make about these other platforms. So like yeah. people will ask all the time, should I be on TikTok? Should I be doing Reels? Should I be doing Instagram? Should I be doing... It's like a million different options. It's like the answer is maybe, but what value are you trying to communicate first? What is that thing? Once you understand that, then you can analyze these channels and say, well, what platform makes the most sense for me to communicate that value? You know, And is my audience on that platform? You know, And then it's like, well, now you narrow down your hundred options to like four it's like, okay, well now I can, I can deal with four, not a hundred. And it makes it way easier to make decisions like that. I love that. That's great. Um, so let's shift back to our initial focus, the financial plan and the marketing plan, right? So when I'm working with a client on building a financial plan, there's 
there's a set of steps that we go through, right? There's a process, you do this, and there's usually an order of operations uh, and so mm-hmm. forth. So when you're working with clients on a marketing plan, is it is that similar? Like, how, how do you approach that? You know, what is that? What are the pieces maybe? Uh, maybe take us through kind of what, what a marketing plan is and how you might construct one. Yeah, so good question. Um, and it's 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 a tricky one because the marketing plan is so integrated in the overall business plan. Because if you've done your business plan right, you've already done some stuff related to marketing. But the first step is target market. You've got to figure out like who you're going after and who you want to go after first off. Then you have to actually like do some research in your potential like area. Let's say you want to go after, you know, 25 to 35 year olds who love outdoors and hiking and kayaking and stuff. Like, great. That's the brand we're going to be. We're going to be an outdoorsy focused beer brand. Awesome. Well, in your target geography where you're trying to, you know, actually run your brewery, how many of those people actually exist in that zone? And there's tools out there that can help you with this. You could run a a fake ad campaign on Instagram and see like what your potential audience is there. And that actually helps you fuel a lot of the decisions you need to make. Because the first thing you're going to find out is like, is it even viable? Like, is there enough people in this zone to make that make sense? Um, or do I need to pick a new location for this? Like, it's going to help you like right out the gate. And I think a lot of businesses don't do that first. And sometimes they get f- too far into running the business. They're like, well, I'm not making any money. It's like, well, let's actually look at your potential audience size. It's like, there's not even enough people here that to sustain a business. You, you miss that. That's why I mean, that's what I mean by if you've done your business plan properly, you've probably analyzed some of this stuff. Once you understand who your target market is, then it's about kind of mapping out your communication strategy and your marketing strategy for that. So what are your values? Let's figure those out. What are your differentiation factors? Let's write all this stuff down. What are your competitors doing? I think competitive analysis is part of this process. What, what brands are they? What, what kind of beers are they serving? Are they a really heavy, hazy IPA kind of brand? Okay. Is there room for another one of those in your same market? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you need to do something different. Maybe there's no cidery in your area. And that would be a great thing to, to run because that market is totally underserved. These are, these are really important things to think about, but it's going to be uncovered by a competitive analysis. Uh, you could also use your competitive analysis to kind of war game and figure out how you can beat your competitors. So if, if, you know, if you were to say that a brewery is a brewery is a brewery, you've all got IPAs, you've got stouts, you've got ambers, whatever, you got craft beer. Maybe the competitors in your market don't do a good job on Instagram, they don't have a good website and they're they're missing there. You could enter the market, even though maybe it's already crowded with breweries and dominate because their marketing sucks, right? So that's that's what the, the point of the competitive analysis is. But it's related to your differentiation factors because you've got to figure out what you're going to say or what you're going to do differently that's going to attract people over that they're already not doing. Those lead into value propositions, how you're going to write your collateral, what your stuff's going to look like, what your brand is going to look like. And then from there, it's related to financial plan, budgeting. How much money do we have to spend on stuff? Do we have enough to buy a website? How much do we have to fuel our website, to fuel our Instagram, to get photography done, to get label art done and branding done and all these type of things? And you've got to make a decision on what you really, what your priority list is there. From there, advertising. So or advertising promotion, you could group them all into that. Like that's that's what most people think is marketing is like, you know, 
is promotion is running the ads on Instagram. It's like, by that point, that's actually like step four or five down the, down the chain here. But that's, that's really the next phase of it is what channels are we going to attack based on what our target market looks like? How much money are we going to spend on those channels? What is the content going to look like in those channels? What do we need to spend to get that content where we want to see it? And then it's, it's about rolling it out and, and attacking those channels from there. And you could take that marketing plan and do it again and again. So like, it's not just like a one, like, okay, we built our marketing plan, set it, forget it. It's over now. It's like, like we talked about it, you know, almost an hour ago was it's a process. So build the plan to be adjusted over time. Maybe you want to change who your target market is. Maybe there's a different target market that you want to build a beer around specifically to attack golfing dads. You're going to make a golf beer because you've analyzed that market and think it's there and you've got to build a plan accordingly. So uh, yeah, those, hopefully that, that made sense. Yeah, that's great. Whenever there's lots of steps like that, I, I do my mind naturally goes to a checklist or a template or something that people can follow. Do you have things like that? Or you work with folks on or how, how, how could someone approach them like that? I've been asked enough times now where I'm like, damn, I need to make this thing. So I'm in the process of making one right now. It's going to be kind of a templatized version of this. And it's taking me a little bit of time because like as I'm building this template, I kind of have this stuff in my head and I roll it out and help clients with it. But it's like, well, I, like there's there's pieces of this that you got to kind of understand the context around why this target market thing matters, how to put that stuff together. So I'm working on a template, but there are other resources you can go to. I'm not the only person who has this information. I actually think the SBA, sba.gov, they have a resource for new businesses trying to get like loans, they require a marketing plan in order for you to do that. And their resources they have on their website are actually not bad. They're like, they got five things you need to include in your marketing plan in order to get the funding. You've got to address these five things. And they've got a couple of articles about these things. So like go to the SBA website, look at their business plan stuff and see what their marketing plan components are. And that's a great place to, to start for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's a good tip. Yeah. And meanwhile, we'll, we'll, uh, it's interesting too, because there's there those things do exist, and then sometimes it's useful for to see it very specific to the niche of the the brewing industry, for example. You know, yeah, because um, so, sometimes those models can be uh, maybe overdone or, or a little missing the mark. But I but I think that's a great a great starting point for folks to check out. So yeah, we've been chatting for a while, a lot of great stuff. So I do have one final question for you, and then. Then maybe we'll wrap up and hopefully do a, uh, another round of this. We're going to need to do another one of these things, Vans. This is so cool. Uh, a couple of nerds geeking out on stuff. So I'll, I'll geek out anytime, anytime. Yeah. Um, so we're almost hopefully post COVID, right? Fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, I guess from a marketing perspective, how should brewery owners be thinking about marketing at this time? Like what's most important right now from your perspective? Good question. Um, you know, that what I think is that we got to be prepared for like anything. So we don't really know what's going to happen over the next four to six months. Like what happened during COVID we like, didn't really know. And then we kind of figured it out. It's like, well, we got to, got to do cans. We got to do this. We got to change our business model a little bit. And now I think the tendency is to say, well, we're going to go back to the way things always were. It's like, well, maybe not because people's minds have changed a little bit. Um, so let's be a little bit cautious about, you know, putting, you know, both feet into any given thing. Um, but I think we can be optimistic, you know, let's, let's understand that. Yeah. People are going to be coming back into the tapper and people are going to have a desire and a need and a want to come do these things. So, and I think what I expect is there's going to be a big pop initially. People are going to have like this post COVID, like 
they're jacked to go do stuff. They're going to want to do concerts and all this kind of stuff. But then we can't get too like jacked up ourselves on that always sticking around because what always happens is people get hyped and then it fades. So be, you know, you know, be cautious about, you know, giving yourself too much excitement over the the short-term gains that are probably going to happen. I think also there's a ton of new competition in the marketplace. You know, I, I keep seeing numbers of the number of craft breweries only continues to increase. And when that happens, there's more competition, which means that there's more people vying for a limited amount of dollars that are, that are happening out there um, that even exist in certain populations. So, you know, with added competition, you know, there's a bigger emphasis on marketing. You've got to have a cool brand. You've got to be doing cool stuff with your content. You have to be communicating with people what your values are. Otherwise, you'll just kind of lose relevance. The brewery up the street that's a mile further than you is just more fun to go to. So I'm going to go there. You know, that's going to happen. So um, you got to be prepared for that. And uh, yeah, it's hard to say. It's it's weird to bust out the crystal ball and say, yeah, this is probably going to happen. But I think some of those things are, we we can anticipate them. Other stuff that's happening too in the marketing world is like, marketing is changing a little bit with data privacy laws. You know, we don't have access to as much data as we used to have as marketers, which is a good thing. We had too much. I'll say that as a marketer, we were getting a little bit creepy for a while. So we just don't have that access, which means our, our, our data is a little bit less accurate, which means that like, we can't rely on just hacking a system to figure out marketing anymore. We actually have to do good marketing, which is communicating value, having good content, getting in the right place at the right time that kind of stuff is a little bit more challenging for people to do, um, which means some of the the kind of, I would, I don't want to like talk shit about anybody, but I think that there's plenty of like digital marketers out there that just know how to use the platform. They don't really understand how consumer psychology works and buyer behavior works. And you're going to see those people struggle in the, in the coming months too. So, you know, just be aware of data privacy stuff and, and data lit kind of, it's going to be weird. Cookies are going away. There's just weird stuff happening with data. So look out for that stuff. Um, security is another really big one. Get two-factor authentication set up in all your accounts. You know, be aware that hackers are out there. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard just in the last six to eight months, really, you know, in the last year, Instagram accounts getting hacked, going away. Facebook and Instagram do not have the support to fix it. Like if you lose your account to a hacker, chances are you're probably never getting it back. And the fix is, you know, have a complicated password, but like have two-factor auth on. Take necessary steps to put your passwords in an encrypted vault. You know, don't give this stuff out to everybody. Don't email your passwords and these kind of things. Cause I think that uh, that kind of security issues are only going to continue to be a factor moving forward, but mm. that's as much crystal ball as I can give you. No, that's good. I mean, those are, those are crystal ball, but they're also things we should be doing, you know, irrespective of where we are in the pandemic yeah. life cycle here. Right. So Chris, this has been a lot of fun. It's been awesome. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Absolutely, man. This is awesome. Uh, thank you, Carrie. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post links to all your stuff too, by the way, in the podcast. If anybody's listen, listening and saying, hey, I want to get in touch with Carrie, I'll, I'll drop the links in there too for you. So um, right on. That's all I got. Thanks, man. All right. We'll talk soon. See ya.